0: We turn to John chapter 11. We read the first 46 verses of John chapter 11. Perhaps a, a lengthy passage, but it all re- centers on uh, Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the dead. Our text for the preaching is verse 35. John 11, beginning at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, He whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, about uh, almost two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. We're going to look at some of this language in the preaching, so it will be profitable to keep your Bibles open in this passage. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, Come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, and told them what things Jesus had done. We read God's word so far. May God place his blessing upon the reading of that word. The text is verse 35. And we will be looking at some of the language that surrounds this text, so it will be profitable to keep our Bibles open. The text is verse 35, Jesus wept. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, of all the miracles that Jesus performs... These miracles of raising someone from the dead are arguably the most impressive and wonderful. Because these miracles of raising someone from the dead showcase, unlike anything else, Jesus' power to bring forth life out of death. And that ultimately is what Jesus came to do, to bring forth life out of death. And among all the instances where Jesus performs this kind of miracle of raising someone from the dead, this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is the most wonderful and impressive. So you put those things together and you can rightly say this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is the greatest of all the miracles that Jesus performs in his earthly ministry. This miracle was Jesus' final public miracle. And as such, it serves as a kind of capstone to all of his miracles. This miracle was done at the most significant time in Jesus' earthly ministry. It really sets the stage for the last few weeks of Jesus' life. It was this miracle that really moves the Jewish leaders to make the determination once and for all to kill Jesus and get rid of him. And it was this miracle that would showcase in a deep and profound way that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's exactly what Jesus impresses upon Mary or or Martha right before he performs this miracle. And that's what Jesus impresses upon the whole crowd of people in the performance of this miracle. Jesus is God. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus doesn't draw his life from anyone or anything outside of himself, but life itself exists in Jesus. Jesus is life. That is his nature. And Jesus is eternal life. He has been alive, we might say, eternally. Because he's the one who, in the beginning, gave life to every creature. He is God of God, light of light, True God of true God. And he's also the one who's going to obtain eternal life for his people through his own death and his own resurrection from the dead. Really, this event in John chapter 11 is, you might say, a prelude or a foreshadowing of the great wonder that Jesus will perform through his own death and his own resurrection. He will not just raise someone else from the dead, but he himself will go through death. He will die on the cross and go through the grave, and he will conquer the grave. He will make the full satisfaction for all our sin and rise again so that he, cannot, he can impart to us not just physical life, but he can part, impart to us eternal life. So this event is a very astonishing and beautiful event. Our focus this afternoon is going to be on something slightly different than the miracle itself. Our focus is going to be on the fact that Jesus wept. And that's an astonishing thing, too. In the midst of this chapter that reveals to us so powerfully Jesus' deity, that he is God, we also, at the very same time, have a beautiful revelation of Jesus' humanity, that he is a man. Jesus is not just the God of life, but Jesus is also the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So we take as our theme this afternoon, Jesus Wept, And we look at that theme under two points. First, we look at the activity of Jesus weeping, what that was, that Jesus wept. And second, the significance for us. To understand this passage, let me first give you a few bits of information about what's going on here. Back in Jesus' day, when a person died, that person would be buried the self same day. There was no embalming, the weather was hot, and so they wouldn't delay burial. What they would do is this. As soon as someone died, they would let the family and acquaintances and friends know. They would gather around immediately by the family, and then they would immediately make a procession to the burial plot. They would bury the body that same day, and then after that, they would stay with the family for about a week. And that was the custom, The people would stay with the family for a week after the burial. They would console and comfort the family. They would even hire professional mourners that would mourn for the family. And all these family and friends would stay with the family, spending time with them, and they would wail with them, and they would weep and mourn for the death of their loved one. They wouldn't just sit quietly and do nothing, but they would wail, and they would wail loudly. And that was the custom, that was what was expected to be done, just like we today have our traditions when we have to go to a funeral. Maybe you have the funeral message, then the burial, and then you come back for ham buns, ham and cheese buns, and you have a meal together. That's, that's what they did too, that kind of thing, and then they had these other traditions that they did. I say all of that because this is what is happening when Jesus and his disciples approach the village of Bethany and they approach the house of Mary and Martha four days after Lazarus has died and after he's been buried. The people are still there, you see. They're still mourning with Mary and Martha. And because Mary and Martha and Lazarus were a distinguished family in the village of Bethany, There could have been dozens of people at this time, perhaps even upwards of a hundred people at the house when Jesus and his disciples showed up. So Jesus and his disciples come to Bethany. And Martha hears from someone that Jesus is coming, and Martha, as is typical of Martha, she runs out to meet Jesus. Mary stays behind in the house, as is typical of Mary, you might say. Surrounded by her comforters, Martha runs out to meet Jesus. She's probably very emotional, She's mourning still the death of her dear brother. Of course she is. It's only been four days, but that's also what's going on this week. And she says to Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You see, she's still grieving over her brother's death. It's still very fresh in her mind. And Jesus tells her that he is the resurrection and the life, and he gives her comfort in the midst of her sorrow. And then we may suppose that after Jesus talks privately with Martha, that he also wanted to talk privately with Mary. So he probably sent Martha back to, to fetch Mary so that Jesus could talk to Mary privately. That would explain the end of verse 28. Martha calls Mary privately and tells her, verse 28, Jesus wants to speak with you. And that's when Mary gets up and she quickly darts off. Well, the crowd of people that is comforting Mary, they assume that Mary wants to go to the graveside to mourn the death of her brother once again. So the group of people rush out behind her, following her to the graveside. And that's where Jesus meets Mary. And what does Mary do? We read in verse 32 that when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And no doubt, Mary is full of emotion. In fact, you read in verse 33 that Jesus sees Mary weeping. And Jesus sees the whole throng of people also weeping. And we read that Jesus himself groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Now this is where we need to start to pay attention to some of the language. In verse 33, we read... That Mary was weeping. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping. And that word for weeping in verse 33 is not the same word that is used in the text in verse 35, where we read that Jesus wept. In verse 33, when it says that Mary was weeping, the word used there is a word that refers to loud wailing. It refers to a noisy kind of weeping. It refers to the act of sobbing. Mary was sobbing, and the people who were with her were sobbing as well. Then in verse 33, we read that Jesus responded to Mary's weeping, her sobbing, with groaning. And that word groaning is also an interesting word. It's a word that has the idea of deep inward emotion. It's the kind of word that refers to a deep inward pain. And in addition significantly it has the idea of being burdened with anger And there's the element of anger included in this word literally it's a word that refers to the snorting of a horse think of a horse snorting with anger and you can tell what's inside that horse because the horse is snorting that's the word groaning in verse 33 it's a word that has the idea of a deep inward moving of indignation and outrage Then, we also read at the end of verse 33 that Jesus was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And that word troubled is another word. And that means to be agitated. It means to be stirred up or irritated. And when you take that word groan, or that word troubled, with the word groan, and you put them together, it means that Jesus is stirred up with anger. He's agitated. He's shaking with fury. His anger. Was one of fury. If we jump down to verse 38, we see that as Jesus approaches the grave, he is still groaning. In verse 38, it's the same word used back in verse 33. As Jesus approaches the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus is burdened with anger, indignation, and outrage. We'll get to the meaning of this anger in a moment. But we go back to verse 33. Jesus is groaning in the spirit and was troubled. In verse 34, he asks, where have you laid him? And those who love Jesus come to him. They they say, Lord, they call him Lord. And then they say, come and see. They show him where Lazarus is buried. And then we read the words of the text, Jesus wept. And that word wept here in verse 35 is another word. It's a different word. And it's the word that means to shed tears. So it doesn't mean that Jesus was starting to wail with everyone else, but it means that tears started flowing down Jesus' cheeks. Jesus is groaning, Jesus is agitated, and Jesus is silently shedding tears. Now before we go any further, we should ask the question, what is happening here? Why is Jesus behaving this way? And I want to point out especially two things here. First, in this weeping of Jesus, Jesus is showing his great empathy towards Mary and Martha and his empathy towards the people, his people. Those tears going down Jesus' cheek are very striking. They're especially striking when you consider that Jesus already knows how this event is going to turn out. Jesus already knows there's going to be a happy ending to the day. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says that earlier to his disciples. He died so that the Son of Man might be glorified. He knows what's going to happen. But nevertheless, Jesus begins to cry. And he's crying, not just over the death of Lazarus, but he's crying because he's entering into the sorrow of Mary and Martha and into the sorrow of his people in this very sad setting. That's astonishing. Now, Jesus, imagine, Jesus could have said, cheer up, Mary. Cheer up, Martha. It's going to be okay. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Don't cry, people. Don't cry, everyone. It's going to be okay. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he begins to cry with them. This is Jesus, beloved. This is God come in the flesh. This is the man who is himself the resurrection and the life. And he's crying with the people. Isn't that amazing? He is fully entering into their grief and their pain. And he is feeling their grief and their pain with them. And it becomes his grief. It becomes his pain. Even to the point where he himself is crying with them. If I may put it another way, this is our king, beloved. This is the one who is sitting on the throne right now at the right hand of God, exalted in majesty and glory. This is the one who has the power to do whatsoever he wills, who has the power to crush the head of Satan on the cross, the one exalted over all, and here he is crying. And he's crying because he's feeling the pain of his people and it's moving him to cry too. In the fullness of his love for his people, he sheds tears of sorrow for them. You see, Jesus knows what it is to feel the pain of death, beloved. And Jesus knows what it is to feel the painful, devastating effects of sin. He has entered into that pain with us. That's the first thing that's going on here. The second thing that needs to be pointed out in this passage is this. Jesus is also angry. We mentioned that already. He's groaning in his spirit, and he is troubled. He is agitated, and he is outraged. Why is he agitated? Well, he is agitated not because of all the people in the crowd who are weeping and sobbing, And perhaps some of them or many of them are just putting on a show. That's not why Jesus is agitated or furious. But he is groaning with outrage and fury because as he looks all around him, he sees the effects of what Satan has done. He sees the effects of sin. You see, as Jesus comes to the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus is witnessing firsthand, very intimately, the wreckage, and the carnage caused by sin. And in all of that Jesus sees, he sees the fingerprints of his hated enemy, the devil. And what does Jesus see? He sees death. That's what he sees. And and death is the object of his wrath. Death is his enemy. Jesus is life. He is the resurrection and the life. And right before him, he sees death. And death is his enemy, and death is the enemy of his people. And behind all this death, Jesus also sees him who has the power of death. No, not him. Jesus sees him who has the power of death. That is the devil. And he sees how death is having, appears to be having its way with his people. His precious sheep. That's what's going on here. And in a sense, that's how we need to understand this whole miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This, this really isn't in the scope of the sermon this afternoon. This has to do more with the miracle, you might say. But let me just say this. In Jesus' miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is not just bringing Lazarus back from the dead, but Jesus is making another declaration of warfare against the devil. You see, in this event, Jesus is showing the devil and showing all the world what he came to do. He came to destroy death. He came to conquer the grave. He came to crush the head of the one who had the power of death. That's why he took upon himself our flesh. As Hebrews 2, verse 14 puts it, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, the devil. As John Calvin puts it, In his commentary, when Jesus approaches the grave of Lazarus, he does not approach the grave of Lazarus as an idle spectator, but, quote, as a champion who prepares for a contest, for a battle, end quote. That's why he groans again in verse 38, because, as Calvin puts it, the violent tyranny of death which he had to conquer is placed before his eyes. Maybe I can put it this way. And all these emotions that we see in Jesus in this passage, coming across in this passage, what we are seeing is the heart of Jesus as it goes out for the salvation of his people. He feels our sufferings. He feels with us the pangs of death. He feels for himself the sorrows brought upon us by that last enemy, death and the grave. Jesus feels it And Jesus is deeply moved to deliver his people from it. So much does Jesus feel it that his hatred and anger waxes hot against Satan, even as he's shedding tears of sorrow and empathy for Mary and Martha. That's how it's working together. This anger and this weeping at the same time, angry against the devil and sin, having compassion, overwhelming compassion for Mary and Martha. Well, Jesus isn't overwhelmed by anything, but I think you understand the, the expression there. Feeling that, that compassion for Mary and Martha. It is his love for his people that will not allow him to remain indifferent towards their enemies. Isn't that amazing, beloved? Jesus knows what it is to grieve over the reality and the consequences of sin. And Jesus knows what it is to be burdened with outrage over the power of sin as we see that power of sin in our lives and in the lives of others. Jesus knows these things. He feels these things. I could even say where we have these emotions in us, that's, that's the new man in us, reacting against sin, hating sin. That's Jesus in us. That's the life of Christ. That's the new man in us. As we ourselves feel these same things, as Christians, the sorrow over sin, the hatred against the devil, and the, the works of darkness, and the sorrow brought on by it. That's Jesus. It was, in all points, tempted like as we are. One thing I want to point out before we move on is this. In his earthly ministry, this is who Jesus always was. All right, The way that Jesus behaves himself here in John chapter 11 is not exceptional. But we need to understand that this is how Jesus always behaved throughout his earthly ministry. This is who Jesus is. This is who your Jesus is yet today. When the blind and the lame and the afflicted came to Jesus, how did he respond? He responded with compassion. You read that word over and over again. He responds with compassion. That's perhaps the the best word that captures uh, Jesus' emotion during his earthly ministry. Remember when blind Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus, "Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me." How did Jesus respond? We read Jesus had compassion on him. When a leper knelt down and beseeched him and said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. How did Jesus respond then? We read, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And Remember when that woman who was a sinner came into Jesus' presence and her tears started falling on his feet? How did Jesus respond in that moment? We read that when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. That word compassion, you come across over and over again. It doesn't refer to a mere passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling in which your longings and your feelings are churning within you. Literally, the reference there is to the intestines, the the guts, one's bowels, bowels of mercy. That's the expression. That's what Jesus had throughout his earthly ministry, bowels of mercy. He felt it in his gut. And that's just the word compassion. If you would now focus on the idea of weeping, which we have in our text, you would also notice that Jesus weeps more than once in his earthly ministry. Luke 19, verse 41, we read that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And the word used there is actually the word for sobbing, the word for loud wailing. Jesus sobbed over the city of Jerusalem. And then in Hebrews 5, verse 7, we have a very striking verse. In Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8, we read that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. It's a very beautiful verse. He offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion? That's when Jesus was offering up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. This is Jesus. Jesus, who took upon himself our flesh, he came into our skin, he stood in our shoes, and he experienced exactly what we experience. As the book of Hebrews puts it, he was tempted, he was tested in all points, just like as we are, in all his human faculties. And now, with his emotions, too, that part of his human nature, he was tested there, too. He was tried. He had a soul, he had a heart. That could be smitten with sorrow. As the prophecy of Isaiah puts it, he was the man of sorrows. This is his humanity, beloved. And we kind of heard it this morning. We did hear it this morning, but we can point it out here too. That's also how Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us. He felt pain perfectly. And he perfectly experienced it. And he kept the law of God in this aspect too. In the, in the realm of his emotional life. He was righteous for us. He was our perfect substitute. But again, it's not just Jesus' compassion. It's not just Jesus' weeping that we see in his earthly ministry. It's also his holy anger that we come across in this passage. And we see it throughout his earthly ministry. Just remember when Jesus made a whip. And he drove out the buyers and sellers out of the temple. Just think of how Jesus warns against those who offend the least of his disciples. Better that a millstone were put put around their neck. And they be thrown into the midst of the sea. Just think of how Jesus spends an entire chapter speaking woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He's angry. He's moved with outrage. He's groaning in his spirit and is troubled. And Why? Because he saw how wickedness was oppressing his people. He saw how wickedness was defiling God's name. And he groaned with holy outrage and agitation. And again, why does Jesus get angry? Because his heart is completely devoted to God. And also because he has perfect, tender compassion for his people. Jesus does not take lightly the sufferings that his people go through. As the onlookers said in verse 36, that's, that's so beautiful too. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. They saw it. Jesus is moved with emotion over the sorrows and sufferings of his people. And so we could say on the one hand, this is his humanity, right? God come in the flesh. But on the other hand, we could emphasize this is his deity. Because in all these events, who is Jesus but the image of God? the one who is reflecting the heart of God in all these passages. God's own compassion, God's own holy love for his people is reflected in Jesus Christ. This is God. This is God in the flesh here in John chapter 11. And we understand God is the most blessed one. God does not weep. God is perfectly happy in himself. And at the same time, as we see in this passage, God is also the one who with perfect love and perfect compassion and perfect holiness identifies himself with the experiences of his people. And that's what makes this passage in John chapter 11 so amazing. Yes, here in John chapter 11, we see the power of God on display as God in the flesh raises someone from the dead who is four days in the grave. The greatest miracle of of his earthly ministry We see the power of God, but here in John chapter 11, we also see the humanity of God, or or of Jesus. We see the compassion, put it that way. We see not just the power of God, but the compassion of God on display, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And his, his power and his compassion are in perfect harmony, working together for the salvation of his people. And it comes to perfect expression in this event here in John chapter 11. It's a very striking event, a very beautiful event. Well, now we should ask the question, what does all of this mean for us? Moving now to the second point of the sermon, having looked at Jesus weeping, what is the significance for us? Well, there is much to say here, but I have especially four things to point out in the second point of the sermon. The first thing that we probably already see and that we need to see is this. Beloved people of God, God understands you. Jesus understands you. Jesus understands your sighs. Jesus understands your groans. Jesus understands your tears. He understands your sobs. He understands your pain. He understands your heartache. He understands your outrage against sin. In fact, we can say Jesus even understands your feelings better than you yourself. Because Jesus felt the exact same things, only deeper and more keenly than you yourself have ever felt them. No disrespect to any of you, but this is to magnify Jesus. Let me put it this way. This fall into sin, the fall into sin, ruined us in very deep and profound ways. Through the fall, even our emotions were affected. And even though we have been regenerated and were made new creations in Christ, there is still much in us that is broken and that is damaged. And that's the case even with our emotions. So that through the fall into sin, our emotions have a a tendency to overreact to things. And at the same time, our emotions can have a tendency to underreact to things. Just think, why are we so often numb to the things we see happening around us. Why is it sometimes so difficult to really sympathize and to empathize with others? Because by nature, we're selfish. And, and we're sinners. By nature, we're, we are sinners. And now here's Jesus. A man, just like you and me, sinless. How does a sinless man look at all the suffering and death? that mars this fallen world. He looks at it a little differently than we do, doesn't he? Because his emotions are perfectly in tune with what's going on around him. And his emotions are not restricted by the dullness that clouds our emotions. He feels these emotions more deeply. He sees things more clearly for what they are. And he experiences events more purely. Perfect, unfiltered, righteous anger, and perfect, unfiltered, intense compassion and sorrow, unrestricted by the sinful self-absorption and self-centeredness that so often restricts our own compassion and our own sorrow. You see, Jesus has had a perfect emotional life, an emotional life characterized on the one hand by perfect control, balance, and proportion. And yet, at the same time, on the other hand, characterized by an unfathomable depth of feeling. Well, now you might say it's the year 2022. Jesus is no no longer on earth. Jesus is in heaven. The question might come up, does he still experience these same things today? Well, what does the book of Hebrews tell us? The book of Hebrews, I've been quoting from it from time to time in the preaching. Jesus with crying and supplication, cried strong with strong crying and tears, Hebrews 5, verse 7. He's a merciful and faithful high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And so on and on the book of Hebrews goes. And how does the book of Hebrews end? Last chapter, Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. This is still who your Jesus is today, beloved. He understands your heart. Jesus' heart is in everything that he does still today. He's not ruling the world without giving any attention to what's happening to his beloved people. But he's ruling the world with his heart constantly going out to his people in love. And he's doing all things as your Lord, as your Savior, as your friend. You who are his friend, just like Mary and Martha and Lazarus were his friends. He understands our feelings, and he is with us in those feelings. Just think of it this way. He is our head. And just as the head of the physical body is in tune with what's going on and feels what the body is going through, so Jesus, as our head, knows exactly what the members of his body, the members of his church, are going through. He understands. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's the first thing, beloved. Jesus understands you. Let this passage, may the Holy Spirit cause you to see that in this passage. He understands you. He himself wept. The second thing we can say is this. What all this means for us is that we must not be afraid to weep. Jesus was not a stoic who always gave a stiff upper lip. No, Jesus allowed himself to feel the pain. And this is how he honored his heavenly father in his earthly life. And the point is, this too is how we can honor the Lord as we live out of Jesus Christ. We can feel things. And we can feel things deeply. Yes, I understand we must be watchful, keep our emotions in control. We must not be ruled by our emotions. That can be a struggle for us. But I think there's also sometimes the tendency to to avoid the deep emotions because it feels vulnerable. It's, It's painful. Sometimes we just don't want to deal with our emotions, put them off in the corner. Maybe it hurts too much. But we should at least ask the question, does that honor the Lord? My point here is when we feel deeply, when we groan with outrage holy agitation over the devastation that sin and death brings into our lives when we shed tears over the pain and sorrow that is found in this world that's a way too in which we can honor the lord we feel deeply and then we bring these emotions also to the lord who understands and we acknowledge that he is our only comfort he is the only one who truly understands he is the one who can help and give the grace that is needed and then we commit ourselves to him who judges righteously who is also the Father of all mercies. And God is honored by this. God gave us our emotions so that we can honor him and serve him through our emotions too. That's part of our human nature, part of our being, our intellect, our will, our emotions. Isn't this what the Psalms are all about? Isn't that what singing from our heart is all about? Doesn't the Bible command us to weep with those who weep? and to rejoice with those who rejoice, we're commanded to exercise this part of our human nature to God's glory. And the point with the sermon this afternoon is this. God is safe, beloved. God is good. Bring your emotions to him. You can trust him with all your emotions, and he will bless you as you lay down your emotions before him. So that was the second thing. We must not be afraid to weep. This brings us to the third thing we can say, and that's this. We must reflect Christ towards each other. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. This is the great privilege we're given as new creations in Jesus Christ. We can come alongside God's people and we can share with them in their emotions and be a blessing to them in that way. Sometimes someone is hurting. And we don't know what to say. Maybe we don't know what to do. I've been there. And so often what we might be inclined to do is keep our distance. Well, look at Jesus, beloved. That's not what Jesus did, is it? Just look at the incarnation itself. God, in his love, saw his people. He saw them in their sin. He saw them in their sorrow and their trouble. And God didn't keep his distance from them. But in his love, he came down to us, even taking upon himself our flesh and blood to feel our sorrow with us and also to deliver us from it. He entered into our lives. And in Christ, we have the great privilege of reflecting that goodness of God in our lives with each other. We can enter into each other's lives this is a challenge, but this is why Jesus is so beautiful, because he does it perfectly. And we have a small beginning, but, and we recognize that in each other, but that's the privilege and the calling that we have too, and that's part of the communion of the saints and the joy of being brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we must reflect Christ to each other. May that be what characterizes us in this congregation here too. Finally, fourth, The significance of Jesus weeping for us is this. Because Jesus shed tears, and because Jesus experienced the fullness of our life under the burden and guilt of sin, because Jesus did that, there is also coming a day when God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. You see, this event in John chapter 11 is, in a sense, a summary of the whole gospel. I think it's striking that It's the shortest verse in the Bible, two words, and yet it captures the gospel right there in those two words too. Jesus wept. God came in our flesh. God became a man of sorrows. God bore our griefs, and he carried our sorrows, and it led him to the point not only where he shed tears, but it led him to the point where he also shed his blood, where he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. In order to take away our pain. In order to take away our sin. And to take away our sorrow. To take away our our tears. And in order to give us joy and peace and life. That we might have the victory over death and sin and the grave. And for us, knowing that gospel truth. Knowing that all our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. And this is who our God is. This is who our Savior is. Knowing these things. Already today, our tears are being wiped away because we see the the wonder of our salvation, the joy of, of the gospel in the scriptures. The tears are already being wiped away. And yet, at the same time, there's still more tears because this is a valley of tears. And there are so many tears we shed through this earthly life. But our Lord tells us that there is a day coming when we will be delivered once and for all from this valley of tears. All our tears will be wiped away and we will enter into the perfect joy of our Lord. And we will see him face to face. And we will have that perfect joy. Not because our our sorrows are are suppressed, but because our sorrows will be perfectly overtaken by joy and peace and happiness. We will enjoy that victory over death and the grave and sin in perfect glory. This is what Jesus did, congregation. This is who your Jesus is. He wept. This is what Jesus still does today. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. May God drive these glorious truths deep into our hearts. May today be a Sabbath day where we see our Savior and and rest in the wondrous truths of who he is. And may we glorify and exalt his name for the great God that he is. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, to be thy children is such a glorious and joyful thing that even in the midst of the tears, we have comfort, we have hope, and we have joy. We thank thee, Lord, for this aspect of the gospel too. That thou dost understand us so perfectly. And thou hast, thou hast gone even further than anything we experience. For thou hast gone through hell. Thou hast borne the agonies and the sorrows. We thank thee, Father, for the salvation thou hast given us. We thank thee for the preaching of the gospel. We thank thee for this beautiful passage and the recording of this holy event of our Savior weeping. Apply the truths of thy word to our hearts. May it shape our attitudes and may it shape our lives.